0: So over the last five years or so, I've worked with kids and youth and adolescents from a wide range of ages, from as young as five to as old as 19, and I've worked with youth from a variety of different socio-economic and cultural backgrounds, different family makeups such as single-parent homes, blended families, or bio-families, as well as a variety of different trauma-related histories, in some cases involving CPS, Child Protective Services. Hello, I'm Edward Ruiz. Welcome to the CCFS Counseling Conversations podcast. I'm a licensed professional counselor. Here at the Counseling Conversations, we seek to tackle any and all problems of everyday living, offering counsel and encouragement from a Christian worldview. Today is episode one of a series titled Counseling for Children. And throughout this series, I'm going to be providing and answering a a number of topics and questions such as how to determine if your child needs counseling, how to provide counseling for kids, how to integrate different modalities such as arts or books or music, and how to address parenting techniques and styles. This is a four-part series at a minimum. Maybe I'll build up a little bit more, but in the meantime, please grab your pen and paper and let's get started. Thank you so much for staying tuned in here. Generally, I find working with kids to be quite fun because there is somewhat of an expectation and uh, anticipation on their part that not only will I be helpful to them, but they have somewhat of a predisposed confidence in me as a helper, and that's usually helpful to me. Um, But obviously, this isn't always the case. Some kids and adolescents, they want nothing to do with counseling or the counselor. And in general, I can't appreciate this. Um, And it's usually this demographic of children that makes me wish more and more for a revival of local churches or parachurch ministries like Young Life or Focus, where struggling kids like these can be reached for the good. So as I mentioned in the outtake there, um, I'm starting a brief series on counseling for kids, counseling for children. And being that I work with children in foster care and in my private practice, I just felt that it might be beneficial to share a few things that I've learned. And so in this short series today, I'm gonna be covering the topic, how to determine if your child needs counseling how to determine if your child needs counseling. This is perhaps one of the most daunting questions that parents consider when they think and wonder whether or not their youth or the child needs, needs some counseling. And since it's, it's a deep question, I will do the best that I can to go as deep as I can, uh, but also stay as broad as I can. This isn't um, designed to be uh, extensively exhaustive or necessarily to speak to your specific situation. So as I seek to answer the question, I want to provide three broad questions that you might be able to use as a filter in answering the question, does my child need counseling? And I will note too that you go ask a therapist up the street, as it were, and you might get a different filter, different, different sets of questions. But um, within the world that I work in, these tend to be three generally running questions that we think about and ask ourselves whether or not a youth needs, needs counseling. And so the first question is this, what are the current risk factors at play? Um, by risk factors, I simply mean anything and everything that can be construed as a safety concern for the child. It's not uncommon for youth and children, as, even as young as 10 or younger, to have thoughts of death and dying. And they can be quite uh, graphic in their verbalizations about death and dying. This is known as suicidality. Um, some kids and some youth are cutting. And so maybe you've found out that your child is cutting, or you found out that your child has pretty uh, intense thoughts about death and dying and they wish to die and that sort of a thing. Maybe somebody has already brought it to your attention, maybe a, a friend of yours or somebody from the school perhaps. So um, after the, the eminent risk factors have been assessed and, and addressed and documented, perhaps in some way eliminated and perhaps controlled if possible, Then it would be prudent to consider finding a good family counselor who's able to conduct what's called a clinical interview And in that interview, they'll help determine as best as possible any specific issues that may need to be addressed So if you're a parent try not to be discouraged if you're after the first clinical interview, there's a result for um, outside help another referral um, I would say that that is better to have a therapist provide the best referral they can than to be even months into a counseling only to find out that the counselor either didn't really understand the issues, didn't really know how to help, or wasn't really qualified to support your family. Another way to think about that is, is you want to find the best match between the therapist and the child. And so don't be discouraged if you have to go to yet another person for more intakes and more reviews. What are the current safety risk factors? That's question number one. Question two, what are the true dynamics of the relationships in the home? Now behind this question, I'm hoping that you'll see we're seeking to reveal the dynamics in the home, which can shed light on the concerns themselves that a parent or a guardian may have. When, they're, when they think their child may need counseling. And so I'll just give an example from everyday life. Sometimes depression in a child can just seem to spring up out of nowhere. But after a number of sessions with a parent or with both the child and the parent, we discover that maybe mom and or dad do are doing things that could inadvertently reinforce negative patterns. And so this could leave a child feeling helpless, feeling angry, feeling depressed, Feeling anxious, and so on. One hand, I do want you to say, hear me say that this isn't to be taken in an absolute sense. Um, that is to say, that you're the cause, quote unquote, cause of the child's mental health concerns. It's not what I'm saying, but there may be cases where parents are saying things or doing things. Their style of parenting might be exacerbating particular uh, vulnerabilities that a child may have. And so, just thinking also about uh, the firstborn, secondborn dynamics. Sometimes a firstborn might be the go-getter, might be the confident and strong one, and say a secondborn, they may be more meek, meek and mild-mannered, uh, maybe a little bit more passive as, they, as it were. Here's sort of the gist of the point and behind the question. How a parent relates to their children plays a major role in how a child internalizes whether their personality is accepted or not. Now, with all of that said, I do want to bring in the, uh, the, the piece of the biological factors here because since I'm using depression as an example, um, I, I do quote an article on the Harvard Medical uh, Publishing website. Um, you could see there, and I'll, I'll leave a link there in the description. Researchers believe that more important than levels of specific brain chemicals, nerve cell connections, nerve cell growth, and the function of nerve circuits have a major impact on depression. Still, their understanding of the neurological underpinnings of mood is incomplete. So the goal of the second question is simply this. To begin the process of being honest as best as possible about the parental dynamics which may be directly affecting the child. It would not be uncommon or uncharacteristic for some kind of counseling work for the parents to go alongside that of the work with their children. And so one last point that I want to make in this second question with, with respect to working with kids, virtually any degree of disruption in the ideal pattern of attachment development to their biological parents can lead to a delay in a variety of areas of their life. One area being a delay in executive functioning, an area being a delay in their uh, development of emotional regulation, one area being a delay in their ability to establish and maintain appropriate peer relationships according to their age. So that's the second question. What are the true dynamics of their family relationships at home? In question three, what does the current support system look like? One of the most important factors following a thorough understanding of the familial dynamics is the support system that will remain in place long after the counseling is over i seek to make it my goal to help build up my clients to be as strong as possible without me but i do so only to the degree that their current support systems are able to step in and do their part on one hand i i challenge and i nudge and i push and i spur on my client toward growth toward development and maturity and maturity and using their support systems on one hand i I sometimes try to do the same for the support system itself, if I have access to the support system. And so as a professional counselor, I realized full well that not everybody has access to a sustainable support system. Not everybody has access to a familial system who is looking out for their good and their well-being. I had to bear that in mind. This is the heartbreaking reality of working with such a wide variety of of demographics and backgrounds and demographic of individuals. But as a counselor operating within a Christian worldview, this is usually the best opportunity to begin providing more direct spiritual guidance for children and families. It's an invitation to say an age appropriate group function for youth or an extended invitation to participate in a church gathering altogether where new relationships can be considered And so as a counselor working within a Christian worldview, I do believe that the Christian community is an ideal environment for reestablishing sustainable support systems that will last beyond the counseling endeavor. In closing, I want to just say that counseling children, teens and adolescents is a great privilege. Children need help, and some of them need more than others. But when a Christian operating from a Christian worldview is able to stand in the gap and support and serve the youth in our community via counseling, I believe that we offer a bright and hopeful prospect for future kingdom building that can begin in the most unlikely of places. Thank you again for listening to the CCFS Kelton Conversations podcast. If you want to know more about Christian Counseling Family Services, you can visit our website at ccfamilieservices.com. Please stay tuned for the next episode in this this series where I tackle the question, how to provide counsel for kids. Thank you so much, and I look forward to connecting with you next time.